2: day off. My name is Courtney
0: Of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tony. What's up, buddy? What's
2: going on, brother?
0: Man, we got a road war. Oh, shoot. Hold on. Before we get to the road war, we want to thank Premier for bringing us out once again. Um, it's one of our favorite um, events to do each year. And, you know, once again,
2: just big shout out to Premier Orlando. That's where we sit today. Yeah. And uh, again, like like we, we start with every podcast. It's, you know, so far, all the podcasts have been in one day. And, and you know, even though there's like a little bit of a tropical storm out there, it seems like people are showing up. Yeah, no doubt. I and I, I, it
0: brings so much joy to me to see that people are, that people are here. I guess is, is the bottom line that that people are here. People are showing up. It kind of feel like that thing we don't talk about is 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 just a little bit further behind us, which I'm really happy to see. And, and, then, and I really like to see um, the live education back. Yeah, and it's back in June
2: in in Orlando, which is nice. Oh yeah,
0: that's right. Because last year was in the fall, right? Yep. We had like a. Six months turnaround or something <laughs> between the between the premieres. Yeah, dude, it's it's cool and and it, it also is what's really cool about this year, as opposed to last year, is that it looks like the brands are back too. Like all the brands are back. Last year, like none of the none of the big brands were there. However, I thought it was a great opportunity for the mid for the mid brands. For all that,
2: you like, guys that didn't make it, they got the coolest coolest Barber Stadium. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. It, it's it, it's going to be something special, man. Yeah. It's really cool that Premiere is even like putting so much emphasis on like like the barber world now or, or the barber, whatever you would call it. You know, they're, they're 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 doubling down on it.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's it's literally I mean, it's it's about the hair industry. You know what I mean? It's before I guess so many years past, you know, either you had a barber event or, you know, a hairdresser event. Right. Like, cosplay. right. I mean literally there's so much barbering and and and, and hairdressing kind of intertwined in this event this year it's it's really really nice to see.
0: Yeah, when you walk the floor you see like equal like you know uh, barber brands and 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 hairstyling brands, you know, yep. as as you walk the thing. It's so cool. So today man we're pretty excited we uh we get to bring in uh, like a true road warrior someone that we see at almost every show. I don't know if there's a show that we've been to that that, that we haven't seen this guy and we we've, we've tried to get on for uh, for a couple of years
2: and for whatever reason it hasn't happened but we're here today. Yeah, and uh, we've talked about it, you know, quite a bit. And uh, you know, when you get people that has this kind of experience in our industry, uh, and, and you get an opportunity to to you know get them on the podcast, you got to get them on. You got to. And like I said, man, he knows and seen, and and he's been a part of this industry for for a while. And uh, and we get to pick his brain. We get to pick, or he gets to you know pick ours. Well, no, for the kids well, may be, he doesn't want to
0: pick ours. <laughs> 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 To be one silent ass right. podcast, <laughs> huh? <Yeah. laughs> like the deer in headlights, you know. Right. You're like, what? What? Don't don't,
1: don't do that. To
0: me. <laughs> That's awesome. So today, our guest on the podcast is Ivan Zoot, and um, you know, you can see again, like I said, you can see Ivan at almost every um, at every at every show. At I mean, he's just one of the one one of the uh, the road dog vendors that you see at at all the shows. But more importantly, I'm kind of interested in his story, and like he just won a lifetime achievement award. That's what it is—the lifetime achievement one.
1: Lifetime achievement award at the uh, the
0: Barber Grammys up at the uh, Connecticut Barber Expo. Connecticut Barber, and yeah. you know what 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 lifetime achievement also translates is that. You're old and you've been in the industry for a really long time.
1: <laughs> so. You know what? It's my third lifetime achievement award, so I figured in, in one life, six more, and I'm a cat. <laughs> uh, however, you know, and and it's it's an incredible honor, and 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 it's wonderful to be recognized yeah. for for you know not a lifetime. As far as I'm concerned, it's a half a lifetime achievement sure. award because I still got some stuff left here. But there's a piece of it that kind of feels like the. Okay Boomer, step aside, there's a, lot of young, <laughs> there's a lot of young folks that want the microphone, could you, yeah. could you just move on out, and uh, I think you like to fish, go fish. Go, fish. Yeah. go. He so definitely that, likes to fish. It's the Go Fish Award. Right. All right, well let's make it official, shall we? Yeah. Mr. Ivan Zoot, welcome to your day off. Thank you so much, thank you for having me here, it's, uh, it's great that we finally had the opportunity to sit down and spend a little bit of time together and Absolutely. And, and chat it up. Hey, where yeah. are you from? I am from the great city of Chicago, lifelong resident, uh, grew up in the city, Uh, we currently live in the northwest suburbs, Uh, you know, as we measure in the Midwest, we're, you know, 40 minutes from downtown on a good day. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the Midwest, we measure distance by time, Uh, I have no idea how many miles it would be, so that's just a function.
0: (laughs) We do do the same thing in D.C. because the traffic can be so crazy, you're like, how far is that? You're like, 40 minutes, and honestly... I didn't know that that wasn't a thing until, like, you talk to people from other areas, right? And you're like, how far is it, 20 miles? And you're like, the hell's 20 miles? No
1: concept <laughs> whatsoever of what that distance <laughs> represents. No. Absolutely. And the and the big thing is, you know, on the wrong day at the wrong time, that 40 minutes is two hours and 40 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, that's a,
2: that's kind of the caveat, too, right? How far is it? you like, well, when are you going? When are you going? <laughs> so growing up as, as a kid in Chicago, and then you hear all about the old mob, uh, you know, mobsters and stuff like that, do you kind of like, have some pride in that or is it like is it like you look around are there so like some of these guys around you know what Um,
1: it's interesting I have uh, as a result of some Uh, youthful experiences and employment and things like that I've had some circumstances and situations that have overlapped with some of those communities in some ways and some interesting stories to share Um, I don't know if that's the topic of this podcast but um, we could talk about some very fascinating stuff but um, I take I take pride in it because you know the whole we're talking Capone era kind of thing yeah that's not my neighborhood and that's not my people but we still own it to some extent so yeah
2: absolutely yeah, we did a mob tour in Chicago, and it was fascinating. Yeah, well, we did
1: the Mob Museum in Vegas, and ooh. obviously that's a, that's, a, that's a don't miss uh, if you're going to be in Vegas at some point. Uh, the Mob Museum is fun, too.
2: That sounds cool, you know. Why did you take me there when we were in Vegas? I
1: didn't even know what was going on in Vegas, man. <laughs> you were there for a week. You should have figured all that
2: stuff are you, out. Are you
0: going
1: to claim that you were not aware of the fact that the mob was involved in Vegas? No, 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 no. Because you know what's interesting is like
0: you we're watching that like lake get drier and drier and drier and bodies keep coming up out of <laughs> there the <you> lake. Go. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. Have you been paying attention to that? Absolutely. How could you not? Right?
1: Absolutely.
0: That's well, because then there's the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing, so you know, you get lost on what's happening,
1: but there's 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 more than enough entertainment out there. <laughs> if you're a little bored, you know, if the podcast is not enough, there's right. other places to turn to be fascinated.
0: You know what's amazing when like all those bodies started coming out, out of the lake? I so suspect that like Mead? Is it Lake Mead? Is yeah, that the, yeah, 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 Lake the Mead. Reservoir yeah, Mead. Lake Mead, and so all these bodies are coming up, and I so suspected them to be like, oh, well, we found
1: so-and-so who's been missing for 35 years. Well, but Jimmy, they're not Jimmy, even talking Jimmy, about the bodies. Jimmy Hoff is the big one, you know, You know whether he's you know it, it buried in the end zone at the Meadowlands or right. somewhere in Chicago, you know, we don't know. But, you know, those are those mysteries that, uh, you know, maybe some archaeologist several thousand years from now right. is going <laughs> to yeah, come up <yeah>, with and figure out, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Was it? Wasn't it, like, Sammy that had,
0: like, a... You would put bodies in like a cave or something because the wildlife would uh would, would would take. I think it was in like Pennsylvania or something. He found this cave with a lot of wildlife and he put bodies in there to dispose of them. Awesome, so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. (laughs) We could do an hour on
1: mobsters. Absolutely, and we know nothing about it. No, 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 no. no. uh, That wouldn't stop us from having an hour-long conversation and enjoying the heck out of it. I would, I would guess that if we knew about it, we wouldn't talk about it. (laughs) There you go. That that's awesome. So, how did you find the hair industry? How did I find the hair industry? Well, I uh, graduated from high school. I went to community college. I got involved in in an education program in hospitality and food service administration. So, out of school, I got a job working for a company that sold institutional food service and restaurant supplies. And uh, I hated that job. Mm-hmm. I spent most of my days arguing over the price per thousand for paper napkins with people. It was, it was a miserable job, but it was straight commission sales. You didn't sell, you didn't get a dime. You sold, you made money. So it was fabulous experience. And one of my customers was a small, full-service hair salon. And this guy bought... Garbage can liners and and disinfectant cleaners and mm-hmm. some things from me, nothing restaurante. But he just happened to have an account and got to talking to him one day and looking at the business and this kind of looked interesting. This kind of looked kind of looked cool. Now at the same time, living in an apartment before my wife and I were my wife and I were dating this was before we got married, living in an apartment and I used to get my hair cut around the corner from this young lady named Elaine at this hair salon. And every time Elaine cut my hair, I was upset. Every time she cut my hair, I was disappointed. Every time she cut my hair, I didn't like the haircut. And on one particular visit, I'm, I'm walking out of the shop, and I'm walking to my car, and I'm walking through the parking lot, and I'm kicking gravel, and I'm disappointed because it's not the haircut I wanted. And I asked myself the question, why do I keep going back? And the answer to the question was I kept going back because I liked Elaine. I had a professional relationship with this woman who cut my hair. What's the type of relationship I thought one should have with one's mm-hmm. professional haircutter? I like the location. I like the price. I like the music they played on the radio. I like the magazines in the magazine rack. I like that bottle of goop that I bought to put in my Mm -hmm. hair. The owner seemed like a cool dude. I liked every single thing about the haircut except the haircut. (laughs) And what I recognized was that this is not haircutting. This is sales. Up until that point, I'd spent most of my youth underneath the car with a wrench. I was a gearhead. I was all into cars. Mm -hmm. Well, if I can use a wrench, I can use a scissors. It's a hand tool. And I looked at this customer of mine that had a business in the hair business. I looked at what was going on with Elaine and her business. And I said, I got to go check out this business. This looks interesting. So I went on a tour at Pivot Point in Chicago at their main campus. I went on a tour at Pivot Point. And um, great story. Gordon Miller. Yeah, yeah. Her buddy. Everybody knows Gordon Miller. At the time, Gordon Miller was the direct campus director at Pivot Point, and Gordon Miller took me on my tour. He's literally my oldest friend in the business, first person I ever met in the beauty industry. He took me on a tour at Pivot Point, showed me all the classrooms, showed me all the stuff, and I said, how do I, how does this work? And he said, well, we start a new class every fourth Tuesday. We just started a class last Tuesday, so our next class starts three weeks from Tuesday. I said, how do I pay for this? And he said, well, we'll go downstairs, we'll fill out some paperwork, we'll see about a loan or a grant, financial aid. I said, no, 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 how do I pay for this? And he said, well, we'll go down to financial aid, we'll fill out an application, we'll see about a grant or a loan. I go, no, 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 cash, check, how do I pay for this? And Gordon looked at me and he goes, "Well, you can pay for it any way you want. Mm. And I wrote Gordon Miller a check for beauty school. I handed it to him and I said, I'm starting tomorrow. Stop. And he looked at my check and he said... Well, you can start tomorrow. Because <laughs> how many people walk into beauty school with a check? Right. And I, the, the great story is, this was like middle of the week, and I went home and I got together with my wife, and I said, Guess what? She said, What? I said, And we're, we're like engaged, we're getting ready to get married. Right. I go, And you know, I've got this job, and I'm making good money, and I went to school, and I go, I signed up for beauty school. She goes, You what? You what? Yeah. I go, I signed <laughs> up for beauty school. She's like, What are you thinking? So then we went out to dinner with my parents that night, and sitting in a restaurant with my parents and my fiancé, not quite wife yet, and I said, hey, guess what? I signed up for beauty school, and my mother just about had an aneurysm. She's like, oh my God, what kind of job is that for a nice Jewish kid? And I went, well, Vidal Sassoon's Jewish. Uh That wasn't enough to convince them. (laughs) So then we went to my wife's parents' house. These are my future Uh in-laws, and I dropped the bomb, you know, because her... She met this guy, and you know, they're going to get married, and he seems like a nice guy, and he's got a suit on, and he's got a job. And I told my in-laws, hey, guess what? I signed up for beauty school. And my father-in-law takes one look at me, and he goes, that's awesome. When you're ready, we'll open a salon. No. That's what he said. And with not enough knowledge, not enough experience, not enough education, and knowing absolutely nothing, like two and a half years later, my father-in-law and I opened up a shop. What? What? That's it was the craziest mean. thing. We never should have done it. It's one of those if I only knew then what I know now. But what it came down to is my wife and I had a little bit of money. It was house money. We were going to buy a house. with This was going to be our house money. And we're going to get married. We're going to buy a house. And it came down to if I get a house, I can't have a business. But if I get a business, I can have a house. I just have to wait. Because I have to wait till I have enough money for the house too. I can have them both. I was also young enough and naive enough that the attitude was, you know, it was about thirty grand a piece. We went in as equal partners, about sixty grand to put this whole business together. What year was this? Nineteen. I, I graduated college school in eighty eight, so this would have right been about 90. ninety. Yeah, what yeah, about ninety? We spent about sixty grand to open this shop, and um, but my attitude towards it was, eh, it's thirty grand. I'll make another thirty grand. I'm young enough; it doesn't matter. And how do you hard? have that perspective, though? I don't know what well, stupidity. Uh, it just, it was just outright blatant ignorance, right. you know, of all the things. And the cool thing about it though was my father's had my father-in-law had an expression that I loved. My father-in-law's expression was, Don't confuse me with the facts. So anytime we'd have a discussion about something, he didn't want to hear that's how the industry always does it. I don't care how the industry does it. Right. We're going to make decisions based on good information. And don't confuse me with your facts and data. Don't confuse me with mm. what the... Uh, you know, and I worked for a full-service day spa before that. I worked for a multi-unit high-volume chain shop before that. I worked in classic barber shops. I got a lot done in that first couple of years. And when it came time to do this, it was like, well, you know, what do we got to lose? Let's try it.
2: Let's give it a go. Yeah. Just 60 grand. That's all. Yeah, 60 grand. (laughs) 60 grand, exactly. And
1: we ended up selling it. We ended up keeping it for a little while. And then when I set the Guinness World Records, when I broke the Guinness World Records for haircutting, I ended up getting all these opportunities to travel and teach. And it opened up all these doors. And at that point, we built the business up to the point where we were cranking. We were eight chairs, we were 24 haircutters. We did about 350 $9 haircuts every single day. I mean, we just moved bodies through the shop. And the options at the time were A or B. A is hire a manager, run the place absentee, run it into the ground and shut it down down the road, Uh or sell it at the peak. Right. I had a young lady who worked for me who still owns the business and still has my name on the door, whose parents were looking to open up a business for their children. So a former employee and her sister, funded by their parents, bought the shop from me, and they paid us, you know, a good fair price for it, nice. um, and it's still in business. They've owned it now longer than I did, and it's still wow. in business. You know, it's a very different business than I had, because they put their own, their own touch and their own sure. flavor and their own unique twist to it, but we had laid the foundation in the community for it, and, you know, I learned, I made good money with it, but I mm. learned an incredible amount playing with that shop. All right, dude, what the hell are you talking about, Guinness World Record? You don't know about that? No. You know, I don't talk about it as much anymore in... 90- no, no, you're going to talk about it now, though. Okay, in 1998, <laughs> um, I live in Chicago. In Chicago, we have snow. We have freaking blizzards. And in Chicago, as is the case in many northern towns, i got to believe Minneapolis wouldn't be any different, and, and the D.C. market, when they get snow, it's epic. Mm-hmm. You know, it shuts down the whole thing. But when it's 14, feet, 14 inches of snow in the parking lot, no one comes in to get a haircut. When no one comes in to get a haircut, beauty and barber professionals sit around finding ways to get in trouble. Mm. And one day it turned into, I'm faster than you are. No, I'm faster than you are. No, I'm faster than you. The bottom line is, I was faster than all of them. (laughs) Okay? But that didn't mean they wouldn't argue with me. Now, in these days, there's no internet. So we got to go looking online for a copy. You know, we got to go looking in a bookshelf for a copy of the Guinness Book of World Records. Right. And there was a world record for fastest haircut in the world. And there was a world record for most haircuts in one hour. And I looked at those records. I looked at the one-hour record, and I said, I looked at the fastest haircut record, I said, I can't do that. that, that's ridiculous. And I looked at the one hour record and I said, I might be able to two do that, that. So what I did was... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, I,
0: I, I got to qualify this. What, what qualifies as a haircut? That,
1: you know, you're, you're getting two steps ahead on the okay, question. Okay, okay, sorry. Because when you talk, you know, fastest haircut in the world, most haircuts in an hour, and the third one is the most haircuts in 24 hours nonstop without a break. Now on the 24 hour record, the only questions are, how did you go to the bathroom and what did you eat? That's what people want to know. Of all the things they want to know, that's what they want to know. The other question very quickly gets to, wait, 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 what's a haircut? So the answer is, unofficially, you could say I have a world record because for the fact that the Guinness World Record for haircutting have the longest list of qualifying requirements to make it a record. So to answer your question, number one, it's got to be a full head of hair. If a client is thin in the crown or receded a little bit, can't participate. Tony, you're out.
2: So are you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> half a head of hair. Half a head of hair is not a haircut. Right. Okay. Number two, you have to be able to remove half an inch from every hair on the head. So if you've got a guy that's skinned up with a number two clipper blade, no. you can't take half an inch off him. He is disqualified before you start. Don't cut him. And you can't afford to cut a client that won't go into the final number because you're going to be playing way too tight. So everybody's got to be prejudged as you can play, you can't. Got to be a full head of hair. Got to take half inch off every hair on the head. Another rule is you have to leave a minimum of two centimeters from the front hairline to the top crown. That rule is specifically to eliminate one guard buzz cut. That's not hair cutting. That's sheep shearing. That doesn't count. So there's a whole group, you know, no one's allowed to touch the hair except me. I can have somebody shampoo the client. I can have somebody comb them out before they sit down in the chair. But once they sit in the chair, nobody can physically touch that client. So there's a whole list of rules there. Um, Long story short, I created a system. For those of you that are out there online, go to YouTube, type in my name, type in revolution cutting. That is the notion of economy of motion. It is the system that I created. It's not a haircut, but a system for approaching any haircut shoulder length or shorter that will allow any hair cutter to reduce their timing while maintaining quality. Rule number one, if you can't cut it right, don't cut it quick. Any loss of quality or any perception of lack of quality in the mind of the customer. If I feel like I'm getting hustled, that doesn't help. And, And these were not commercial haircuts. These were charity events. These were publicity stunts specifically for this. But I created a system. Then I trained. Not only was I at that point in fighting shape because I was doing 45 to 50 head a day in the shop in those days anyway. So I was at my peak in terms of productive capability, but I also had to train for this. Every night after work, 9 o'clock, one of my team members stayed late with me to work on what, for lack of a better word, would be choreography. How do we, like NASCAR, reset the tools on the station like a pit stop so Mm -hmm. I don't have to look and I know which blade and which tool and which clipper is laying where choreography for all that so the other example i use with this is when michael phelps was in the olympics and won eight gold medals the following week you saw him on the front cover of time magazine wearing eight gold medals right but what you didn't see on the front cover of time magazine are the 49 other people necessary for him to achieve eight gold medals you know, he's got a exercise therapist and a psychiatrist and a physiologist and a massage therapist and a dietitian and mm-hmm. his mother and his weed dealer and all these <laughs> necessary for him to break a world record. Oh, I had a team of people as well. They're my records, but There was a whole, you know, one person sweeping, one person resetting the tools, one person caping and draping, one person having an out loud consultation at the next chair that I can listen to and tell him, put a number two blade on the detachable blade clipper, give me the white comb because he's got dark hair, you know, this while I'm doing one haircut getting ready to jump for the next. So we practiced for an entire year before we pulled this off. Originally, the world record was single fastest haircut was about two minutes, 23 seconds. I did a haircut in two minutes and nine seconds in 1998. Started traveling, started teaching, wrote my first book on haircutting productivity called Time is Money. And along the way, while I was busy doing these things, some wise guy broke my records. Damn him. So August 23rd of 2008, exactly 10 years to the day. Because if you break a record 10 years apart, you've demonstrated it's no fluke. 223 was the record. I did a haircut in 209. Somebody got it under two minutes. 55 seconds what 55 seconds and i've done it 16 times i've broken the record for the fastest haircut in the world and i've done it on young and old and long and short and black and white and curly and straight and male and female and it doesn't matter because it's a system not a haircut now originally the record for one hour was 18 haircuts in an hour so i did 22 haircuts in an hour in 1998 And I started traveling, and I started teaching. And while I was busy doing that, some wise guy did 23. (laughs) So I did 34. What? That's the record. 34 haircuts in an hour. I'm not sure if it's still because Guinness doesn't publish all of their records in the book every year. If you pick up a book, if you've got a child in the family that's got Guinness World Record books, 2010, 2012, 2014, I'm actually in print. Those are the only three years my record made it into the book itself. But they you know, this is all database, it's all online now, which it wasn't the first time I did this. Uh, And then the 24-hour world record, I was the first person ever to do that. Um, I did it in 2000, I did 144 in 24 hours. And then in 2008, as part of that big event, I did 340 in 24 (sighs) hours, which is more hair than the average licensed cosmetologist in America cuts in a month. Yeah, no doubt. And again, charity events, publicity stunts, you know, this is what if. What if you had a decent baseline education? What if you had, you know, you got to remember at one point with this, I had a major manufacturer as my employer and sponsor, and for lack of a better way to put it, the skunk works was building hot rod (laughs) tools. So where a typical clipper might be 3,300 cutting strokes per minute, I had some clippers that were running at about 6,000 strokes per minute. That's higher speed than dog grooming, and you get so much blade heat so rapidly but not in a 55-second haircut. Right. This is not a problem. Right. So I had some specialized tools to do it with. And the, what I always say about world records is records are made to be broken. Right. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I did it twice 10 years apart. And at this point in time, my hope is that some young person who's listening to us, some energetic and enthusiastic young person, and not necessarily young on their driver's license, but young between their ears, right? wants to break my I will coach them I will help them I will assist in training I will stand in the background and cheer for them and I will help them break these records because records are made to be broken
0: that's awesome man that's, that's so, so now cool. you know that now I know I'm gonna start getting my like uh my fingers limber but, it, it go had, for a record. but you have to use a clipper
1: no I use clippers scissors razors any tools you want there's some there are some aspects of professional haircutting that from an efficiency standpoint a clipper makes sense for instance scissor over comb for those that are passionate fans of scissor over comb, I understand. I recognize the craftsmanship associated with it, but I get carpal tunnel syndrome thinking about scissor over comb. <laughs> when I could clip or over comb it, I'm not sure why I would want. I can't come up with a good other than the theatrical aspect of because good scissor over comb is like watching ballet. Yeah, my God, you watch somebody the fluidity and the precision. It's just it's magical. It's intoxicating to watch but not when I'm trying to put $7 gas in the tank of my truck. <laughs>
0: uh, no, no, sir. You know, there's 340 haircuts in 24 hours. You, you understand. <laughs>
1: exactly. So are you still in the, are you still cutting hair? I, you know, I paused from cutting hair at the beginning of COVID. I uh-huh. took some time off and um, the best I can explain it is every time I get ready to get back in a shot. and I really miss it. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't miss twenty four haircutters on my team. Uh, I don't miss. I miss the clients. I miss the haircuts. You know, I miss the ball game. One of the greatest things about barbering is the television. I'm cutting hair and I'm watching the Cubs. I mean, how right. great is this? Okay, that's what makes it a great job. Yeah, it's, it's unbel- you know, and what I always you know, what I really believe one of the greatest things in the world is cutting hair in fall or in spring when you can have the door open a little bit of leaves blowing in the door, the, you know, you open the back door, you get a little bit of claw, cross right. flow on the air, the weather's nice, the ball game's on TV, so I haven't gone back, and every time I think about going back, I have to ask, where are we relative to the fishing season? Because, you know, <laughs> if I could be fishing, I'm not right now, and again, this is a function of my, my tenure in the industry, right. you know, if I have a cha- choice between a large detachable blade clipper and a largemouth mouth bass, um, some days that's an easy choice. Yeah, 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 right? <laughs> So i you know i will get I will cut hair again I will get back mm-hmm. into a shop um you know, I still cut hair when I do demos and stage programming at shows and things like right. that. um I still got a couple of family members that that I you know keep my keep my hands in the game uh but I do miss it I, I do miss getting back into it, but you know the industry's changed a lot just in the couple of years that I've been on the on that aspect of the sidelines um mm-hmm. but i I view some of these changes you know and and when we talk about the thing we don't talk about as I heard it referred <laughs> um Clearly, there have been negatives associated with it. It's devastated lives and, 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 and incomes and businesses and things like that. But I have talked a lot in some of my programming about what I call the upside of COVID. Uh, and I think there's been some real, real positive upsides for our industry, for our friends in this business. Uh, not the least of which is, uh, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lunatic for the conversation about price increasing. And never in the 35 years that I've been in the business have we ever been in a climate or an environment in which there is less client resistance to price increases. You don't you don't have to say anything. I had a, a great story about a guy that owns a, a barber school and a, and a whole group of barber shops. And he called me on the phone and he's like, dude, I need your help. I said, what can I do for you? And he said, we're raising our prices in the shops and the guys are freaking out. I go, what's wrong? Because they're worried about blowback from the clients and I said you know what you need you need scripting you need dialogue you need phrasing you need to know what to say when clients object I said no I don't think clients are going to object but your people need the confidence of having the verbiage to work with he goes that's exactly what I need can you help me I said yes I can help you I go get a pencil I said I'm going to write I'm going to tell you what to write down Write this down on a notepad and take this to your staff meeting and tell your, cust- your team members that when a client objects to a price increase or raises a question about a price increase, this is what they say. He says, okay, I'm ready. I said, okay. So you've raised the prices and a client says to your barber or your stylist, why is the price going up? And your response should be, and I quote, dude, you're kidding me, right? That's the whole phrase. You're kidding me, Right? We all know everything's gone up—yeah, groceries and gas and everything else. So there's there's almost no reason to engage in dialogue over it. And simply saying that to a client, he goes, "That's brilliant." He goes, "We're going to do that."
2: <laughs>
1: and that was the whole that was the whole coaching session. Is dude, you're kidding me, right? And
2: th- did you get any feedback from him?
1: Yeah, he said it worked perfectly. It was beautiful. Nice. He said it gave the guys the confidence to know and understand, you know. And and I mean, we're here in Orlando. If I could tell a quick Orlando story, sure. December. Past year, my in-laws had had their 60th wedding anniversary the year before. We couldn't celebrate. So this year, December, their 61st anniversary, we came down to Orlando. We rented a house, eight of us, my in-laws, my wife and I, my sister-in-law and her husband, one of my sons and his wife, my other son and fiance. We rented a big house. We cooked food. We played at the pool. We did everything we should, and we went to Disney. Now, you know what's happening at Disney right now? Disney's celebrating their 50th anniversary. So I'm doing a little look, and I'm doing a little learning, and one of the things I came across was this information. In 1971, when Walt Disney World opened here in Orlando, Florida, a ticket to Walt Disney World was $3. $3 to go to Disney. And in 1971, the average price of a haircut in the United States of America was $5. In 1971, we as an industry were 50% more than the price of a ticket to Disney. Now, fast forward. 2021, 50 years later. The least expensive ticket to Disney. And by the way, we can't buy it because it's a resident-only ticket. Got to be a Florida resident to buy this ticket. And by the way, you don't want this ticket because it's one park only. It's not a park hopper. And you don't want this ticket because it's a weekday-only ticket to Disney. So you can't go on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And by the way, you don't want this ticket because there's no Fast Pass. You're going to have to wait in line. So a Florida resident, weekday-only, one-park, no Fast Pass ticket to Disney... Is 100 starts at 125 bucks. Now, that's not the ticket my wife bought for our family, but they start <laughs> at 125 bucks. And the average price of a haircut in America now is $28. So, what the math tells you is 50 years ago, we were 50% more than a ticket to Disney. And today, we are one fifth, 20% of the price of a ticket to Disney. So, I took this information and I posted it to Instagram with a picture of the princess's castle. I overlaid the statistics, and I asked our community this question. I said, what happened at the barbershop? What happened at the hair salon that we went from 50% more than the price of a ticket to Disney to one-fifth of the price of a ticket to Disney? And I started reading our feedback that was coming from your and my friends in the community, and I almost instantaneously discovered I asked the wrong question. The question was not what happened at the barbershop or the hair salon, the question really was what the heck happened at the Magic Kingdom? And the answer was Disney discovered they do not sell roller coaster rides, hot dogs, and t shirts. Disney sells magical experiences. And we're still selling haircuts. Haircuts are $8. You can get a haircut anywhere in America for 8 bucks. Tomorrow, I guarantee if you pick up a copy of the Orlando Sentinel and you flip through it till you get to the little insert coupon things, you can probably find a $5 off coupon for a haircut at some salon here in the Orlando metropolitan area and you can get out of here for a haircut for under 10 bucks because they're selling haircuts. And when you discover how to deliver, and this, this is essentially the core of what I believe our business is all about. When you discover that you're no longer selling haircuts but that you're delivering magical experiences, You can go full-on Disney, my friends. Sky's the limit. That's when the magic happens. That's when the magic happens. And unfortunately, too many people in our business are still doing haircuts. And the haircut is secondary to the experience. At any price point. At any price point. The barbershop I was working in, 19 bucks. What do you get for 19 bucks? You get a hello, you get a handshake. You get a quickie consultation, same as last time. You get one haircut. (laughs) You get one haircut. You get two dirty jokes. You get an invitation to buy a bottle of gel. You get two business cards. Send me your friends. And you get the hell out of my store. Because I got seven more people in the waiting room stacked up like firewood. Right. But the key for me is at $19 a haircut, I must deliver an experience that is worth $19.10. The dime is what I call added value. Now, a buddy that I went to beauty school gets $185 for a haircut. But at $185, he must see to it that each and every client that leaves his chair feels as though the experience was worth $185 and 10 cents. It's the same dime. The dime represents added value. As soon as you figure out what's your dime, you own the game.
2: Mm. I, I feel like I'm sitting in a sermon. I mean, it's. Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are preaching, bro. I mean, it, it's. This is what I talk about
1: every day and every week in shows all over the country. I've been talking about this for, for 30 years.
2: Well, I mean, it, you continue to talk because I, and you just motivated me. I, I literally was getting little chills in the back of my neck. It, I mean, That was good stuff. I Thank mean, you. that is. That is and,
1: and you know what? And I, you know, I only discovered the Disney thing like in the last year, but I've worded it differently. But when you put right. it in that context that everyone who's been able to experience Disney can relate to in that way, it's kind of an eye opener going, wait a minute. What the hell happened at the Magic Kingdom?
0: What happened? Yeah. What happened?
1: That's amazing, I, and I, I actually
0: I've seen a lot more. It seems like we're more comfortable today to raise our prices than we were just two and three years ago. And, and and by the way, I mean, point all fingers to me. I feel more comfortable now than ever before because. What I've realized is that I need to be in business for myself. And if I'm not discounting or if, or if I'm keeping at the same prices while, while my rent goes up, while my products go up, while all that, all of a sudden I'm no longer in business for myself. I'm in business for my clients. Yeah, if I'm be, scared to charge them that, then
1: who's paying for that? As, as the economy experiences you know, 8.5% inflation, it's probably higher this week, um, <laughs> you know, the ero- margin erosion has really hurt people. You know, Our industry is notorious for having, we have lots of money. Go downstairs and transact business on the Florida trade show and the average guy reaches in his pocket, takes out a chunk of money, you know, thicker than a cheeseburger. And it's not all singles with a 20 wrapped around the outside. It's money. The problem is it's not what you make, it's what you keep. We burn through so much of it. And with costs going up, if we're not raising prices, and the comment that I made the other day with regards to price increases is at this point in time, any issues associated with price increase in the haircut business they're not the client issues. There are issues. It's, it's, it's in our head now, because with, with you know gas and, and groceries and, and college tuition and everything else, you know, you know, how much is a brand new Camry, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just this escalation in pricing and, and um, we as an industry we're guilt we have not kept up historically we have not kept up and you know I I have a book uh, it's called The Professional Haircutter's Pricing Playbook it's the 13th book that I've written and it's the only book that I never finished and the reason I say that is it's loaded with blank spaces where you plug in your numbers your data, the -hmm. statistics of your business and I take you through the formulas and the calculations because pricing decisions are not made with your gut or your heart or even your head, they're made with a calculator and a pencil and what I say about the book is it's a $25 book but you're going to use it for 25 years because next week, next month, and next year, as your business changes, you're going to change the numbers and you're going to rework the formulas and you're going to, it's going to become a living, growing, coaching tool that grows with you so that we can catch up in that big way. What's the name of that book? It's called The Professional Haircutter's Pricing Playbook. Is it on Amazon. It is available on Amazon, it's available on my website at ivanzoot.com. Uh, it's available on paper, it's available digital as a download. It's also available. It is the o- actually it's the only book I've written that is not available as an audiobook. I've recorded all my books in audio, but because of the fill in the blank nature sure. of that one, it doesn't it's not well suited to uh, listening.
0: So uh, as a as a commute listener, where where can I find the uh the audiobooks?
1: They're all audiobooks are all available at ivanzoot.com. Okay, they're all awesome. downloaded. and, then, and
0: it's just like MP3 downloads.
1: Yeah, they're MP3 files. Exactly, nice. exactly. Nice.
0: You'll be. I'll be. I'll be visiting there in a bit. In a bit.
1: I look forward do. to
0: it. yeah, I bet you forward
1: to it. Yeah, Like I said, I've got thirteen titles. My uh, hundred by one hundred is one hundred new haircut customers in one hundred days. I'm not teaching that class this time around. I've got uh-huh. a class called right pricing. That's a class I have uh, here tomorrow, which is where we literally take you through the process of whether you're setting an initial price or raising a price. You know, I always joke around about this, but what is the tool that the average individual in the beauty and barber industry uses to, raise their, to, to, to set their haircut price when they open a shop? What tool do they use to set their price? What's a guy across the street charging? They use a telephone. It's like this. It's how much, how much is your haircut? Click. How much is your haircut? Click. How much is your haircut? Click. They do that six times. They add up all those prices. They divide them by six and get an average. Right. And they look at the average price in their community and they go, well, if the average price in my community is $24, well, I'm a chicken shit, I'm going to be 23. Or if the average price in my community is $24, I'm going to be special, I'm going to be 25. And what I always say is you are now making the single most important decision of your professional career based on other people's bad decision-making skills. And we don't know his cost structure. We don't know how much it co- his rent is. We don't know what his profit motivation is. Maybe he's doing this to be charitable. He doesn't need to make any money. Maybe his grandpa is rich. Or maybe his goal is to earn a quarter million dollars a year and he's got to have huge profit margins. Maybe he's making better decisions. We with none of that information. Right. But we're using a telephone to randomly assess a price like that it just doesn't work. Mm. We got there's there's data, there's formulas. And one of the cool things about this industry is these are not my formulas. These are not Ivan formulas. These are ours. We own these as an industry. Things like when to go up and how much to go up. These are the benchmark statistics of our industry that, you know, I always say to know your numbers is to grow your numbers. And that which gets measured gets improved. Simply the process of calculating your numbers every night before you leave the shop will result in those numbers growing by awareness. Because you unconsciously and subconsciously will begin to modify your behavior based on the numbers. Because you're going to calculate your numbers on Thursday night before you go home, and the numbers aren't going to be good, and you're going to be pissed. Mm. And you're going to show up Friday morning with half a tank of gas going, it's time to play serious. And all mm-hmm, of a sudden, mm-hmm. the numbers will creep just by your awareness of the numbers. To know your numbers is to grow your numbers. That's a, that's a law of attention, right? If, if that's you what you want to call yeah, it, yeah, I like yeah. <laughs> yeah, the law of that which you put attention to, absolutely. Yeah, I like it. I might use that. You can have it. Thank you. It's not mine. I didn't think it was yours. It's ours. (laughs) (laughs) It's not yours. It's ours. Absolutely. So you
2: teach all these things in your book?
1: Well, I've got 13 books. Uh, What do you want to know? 100 by 100 is 100 additional haircut customers in 100 days guaranteed. Remember that show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Yeah. This book is a day-by-day... You failed. (laughs) You don't want the book. (laughs) Uh, It's a day-by-day, step-by-step plan focused on one thing and one thing only, new butts and seats, new customer acquisition. And what I tell people is, again, $25 book, money back guarantee. If you follow this program, by the way, 100 days from today as we are recording this right here and now, 100 days from today is September 12th. It's my wife's birthday, but it's also 100 days from today. And if you can close your eyes for a minute while you're listening, not if you're driving, but if you can close your eyes and imagine, how would your life be different on September 12th, 2022 with 100 additional customers. What would your book look like? What would your checkbook look like? Mm. What would be parked in your spot behind the shop with 100 additional customers? It's powerful. But there's not a single thing in the book that I suggest or recommend that cannot be done by a fifth grader. It's that easy. Money back guarantee. That's one of my books. I've got another book called uh, $100,000 Haircutter. That one's a daily devotional to success in the business. It's one idea a day, every single day, 365 days. There's a 53rd week of the year as a bonus plus two monthly focused chapters in the back. But this one, you keep it on your night table. You wake up in the morning, you open the book to today, you turn to today, today, and you read it. And you lace up your tennies and out the door you run, own the business. $100,000 on the front cover of that book, I believe is realistic and credible for any licensed cosmetologist or barber in America. Six-figure income. And I'm not talking about working 60 hours a week, I'm talking 40 hours a week. I just got done doing a class on the three-day... $100,000 career in the beauty industry, how you can work three days a week, 10 hours a day, and net $100,000 in this business. No problem.
0: You know what's amazing, Tony? Um, All these
1: years, I thought Ivan just sold combs. (laughs) You know what? Uh, my Zoot Comb, which is in partnership with Denman, it's a unique and creative approach to a comb in our business. Um, I do sell a lot of those, thank God. Uh, the industry kind of has discovered it and really mm-hmm. loves that tool. If you're not familiar with it, um, Zoot Comb's got its own uh, page on Instagram, but it's a it's the Swiss Army knife of haircutting comb Don't you have
2: one of those? Mm-hmm. I have two, two. There you go.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah, people love it. He I wanted am- to buy one, but then he saw you chatting it up, and then he had to buy two. Well, that we also have a deal at the show. Normally, if you buy the comb with the system with the snap-on guards, if you want an additional I comb, have that too, I, yeah, I got a discount price on <laughs> the extra comb. <laughs> well, good. I, I appreciate you, Ivan. What's that car that you have behind your uh, your shop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what's
0: in
2: my parking space? <laughs> yeah, I have two because I, 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 I bought one and then I got one for my partner. <laughs> there you go. The, the no, shop. you know
1: what? You know what? I um. I love the business, I love the haircutting, I love the creative aspect of it. My challenge has always been, I'm just not that creative when it comes to haircutting. I think I'm creative when it comes to, like with the Disney story, looking at the situation and kind of, kind of exploring it, explaining it, and breaking it down. Um, but my answer to, will this haircut look good on me, has always been... Well, in 12 minutes, we're both going to know. <laughs> 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 so, I, you know, that hasn't been my, my, you know, and people look at my Instagram. There are no pictures of my clients on my Instagram. And I, I talk about this. I say, there are no, none of my clients on my Instagram. Why? And the answer is because my client looks like your grandpa. My client is 72 years old, he's got hair on the back and sides of his head, there's nine hairs on the top of his head, and he comes in and gets a haircut every, you know, 21 days. <laughs> and He's not a high and tight, hard parted pompadour on a hipster with a crazy beard and everything like that. I don't even, I don't do, I don't serve that market, I don't know those customers. But the bread and butter, the core of this industry is a basic haircut delivered well every three weeks consistently week in and week out, month in and month out on a regular client who comes in and sits down and gets a haircut and leaves. I always joke around. I say every single guy that ever came into my barbershop had the exact same name. You know what his name was? Buddy. Buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> hey, buddy. You're next. Hey buddy. hey, buddy. Can you wait? We'll get you right after <laughs> this. Guy. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you again, buddy. Talk, Talk to you weird. later, buddy.
0: We, we worked for a British guy coming up. Um, you know, when, when we were young hairdressers, and everybody was love. Hey, love. Hey, love. Hey, love. Hey, love. Your next love. Yeah, here you go.
1: But he knew nobody's nobody's name at all. I can remember there were times when somebody would come up front to pay for a haircut, and they you know a woman would open up her wallet, and there'd be a picture in her wallet of her with one of my clients, and I'd say, Oh, you know him. He's like, yeah, that's my husband. I go, I've been cutting him for years. I didn't know you guys <laughs> were married. <'Cause laughs> I, I didn't know he was married. I, I just don't even know his name, <laughs> buddy. Yeah, his name's Buddy. <laughs> I don't even know, you know. Never occurred to me. They were, you know, because if you don't see the last name on a check or a credit card, and you know, this guy walks in, sits down, gets a haircut, walks out. You know, his name is Buddy. <laughs>
0: Fair. He just gives you cash. <laughs>
1: he gives me cash. Yeah, he gives me yeah. a twenty, and he walks away.
0: Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, that's hilarious.
1: <laughs> so
0: I mean, if, if as we as we kind of carry on the conversation. Like, what are your like go-tos or what's your best advice to kind of if if someone's listening in to uh you
1: know just to help in their careers. Right now, my best advice, um Barber like a pirate. I used to teach a class by this name, Barber Like a Pirate. And what I meant by that is every single thing you need to know to be successful behind the chair is R. R. What does a pirate say? R. What are we talking about? R. Ask for referrals. R, rebook the client. R, recommend retail products. R, raise your prices. It all comes down to R. It's a very simple group of things. And the secret to our business is our business is simple, but it's not easy. What I mean by that is we do simple things. Remember the comment earlier, anybody, a fifth grader can do it? Right. Okay, our business is simple, but it's not easy. What I mean by that is the challenge is we must do simple things extremely well and every single time. High quality and consistency in the things we do. And don't make it too tricky. One of my biggest pieces of advice right now is specialization. You know, when I get into beauty school, if you went showed up at my beauty school and said, hey, when I graduate from cosmetology school, I'm going to be a colorist. They would have looked at you and gone, you're going to be a what? (laughs) The job didn't exist. Right. Today, there are people in hair color that just do blonding or gray coverage or reds. Color has been so, become so highly specialized. I believe today, if you want to do world-class hair color in a major city for world-class prices, you can't cut hair. There's too much to know. You must be specialized. And, you know, I used to joke around. I say, you know, the Milady textbook is four inches thick. Yeah, I do two pages. It's the two pages on guy haircuts. <laughs> buddy, Buddy haircuts. Yeah, there's 398 <laughs> pages in that book that I don't do anything with. Because specialization, the expression is if you're everything to everyone, you're nothing to anyone. You know, I had a problem with my elbow. I went to see an elbow guy, not an orthopedist, not an ankle guy, not a shoulder guy, an elbow guy. He doesn't do anything but elbows. Because I want my elbow to be back to where it was before, so I go to the elbow guy. Because that's all he does is elbows.
0: He needs better elbows to
1: to bring in the fish. Yeah, it's all about casting. It's all (laughs) All about about casting. Do you fly fish? You know what? Uh, over the winter, I got kind of curious about it. I learned about it. Um, buddy of mine brought me an inexpensive fly rod to play with a little bit. I experimented in the dark. You know, I I I live, there's a, there's a lake 100 feet from my front door. So I spent most of the winter like a puppy at the window looking at the frozen lake, crying. <laughs> <laughs> okay? So I started tying flies a little bit and experimenting with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've played around with it. Now, I'm not fly fishing for trout in Montana. I'm, and my my intrigue became understanding the way bluegill we a lot it's the state fish of Illinois where i live the way they go after top water little thing little bugs and stuff on the top of the water. water what if i was fly fishing for bluegill i come to find out there's a facebook page and a whole online community and a world of people doing this but my interest in fly fishing is the specialty niche of how can i play with this in my geography right you know and and you know at some point it's going to be a trip to montana and standing in a stream looking for trout but we're not right. there yet that's let's, yeah. let's crawl before we walk and walk before we run I mean, like fly fishing to me is like the ballet of fishing. Right? It there, it's just there are so some, like, it's just yeah. so like There's some esoteric awful. elements to it. One of the things I learned is they call that false casting where they're like whipping the line back and forth and it's dancing in the air like on uh, uh, yeah. the, 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 a river runs through it, the movie, you <laughs> right, know, right. With, with this stuff. And one of the things I come to learn is an awful lot of that false casting like that is complete trash. Because among other things, anything that gives the fish any idea that you're there is a bad idea. So dancing that line across the top of the water, with the shadow and the light and the cat, you're just pissing off the fish. So th- that's a little more poetry than it is reality. Uh, yeah. I come to learn, but mm. you know, I'm in, I'm in the novice stages of this. So we're gonna have a lot of pissed it's off like, fly. Yeah, there's a whole DMing bunch of fly, us. there's a whole <laughs> bunch of fly fishermen out there that are losing their minds <laughs> listening to this amateur right here. Okay, so let's let's take it back to haircuts because I can hold my own. And, uh, <laughs> Ivan, you're DM. Hey,
0: if you're gonna DM, DM Ivan. Don't DM us. Uh, right. <laughs>
1: Well, what I'm hoping is that you've got some listener in Montana who's got a cabin who'd like me to come up for a week, uh, who'd like to teach me what I don't know.
0: I mean, we do know a few people in Montana. There you go. (laughs)
1: Let's make it happen. (laughs) We're
0: going to make it happen? Yeah. That's cool, man. As long as we can go.
1: Yeah, 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 we got to go with you. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. No, it's a big cabin. It's a big cabin. cabin. (laughs) That's awesome. We love Montana. Have you spent any time up there? A little bit. I was in Montana when I was younger. Um, You know, the beauty industry has given me the opportunity to literally cover all fifty states in one form or another. Amazing. And and that part of the north, the northwest. You know, Wyoming. My God, Uh, what what a beautiful part of the world! You know, and Wyoming has more nothing than any place else has nothing that I've ever seen before in my life. And, you know, as a Midwesterner, we think driving through, like, the cornfields of Illinois and the soybean fields of Illinois, I think we got nothing. That's not that's something. Mm-hmm. Their nothing is, like, nothing, nothing. Well, well, hold on,
0: hold on, hold on. We spent 13 hours in Wyoming,
1: and it was, I'll go out and say it, it was the most spectacular 13 hours in Oh, it's the most life. unbelievable nothing you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not knocking Wyoming. I'm, I'm back there in a heartbeat. Uh, my younger one graduated college, and my wife built for us a two-week, uh excursion we rented a uh full-size pickup truck out of denver and drove up through cheyenne and up through casper Mm. and all over Mm. wyoming and down through utah and and you know those are the kind of places you wake up in the morning you look out the window and go why the hell do i live in suburban chicago (laughs) when we were in um um what's the
0: park? i mean no not zion the other one yellowstone Oh, okay. Yeah, when, dude, when we were in Yellowstone, it was like a religious experience for oh, me. Oh, it's unbelievable. I, I'm like, my feet are in like the most destructive place on earth, honestly. It's a super volcano, right? Yep. But it's the most
1: picturesque thing you've ever seen. It was well, like. Yeah, the two things I'll tell you about this was number one, when we finally got to the Grand Canyon, you know, I think when my wife and I and the boys, and the industry gave me the gift. Uh, so many years of travel, you know. I had points for airplanes and points for hotels and points for cars. So we took the kids once a year on a on a trip. We'd fly somewhere, drive around. So we wound up at the Grand Canyon, and we're standing at the lip of the Grand Canyon. I'm looking over the Grand Canyon, and the overwhelming feeling I had was anger. And I don't think too many people look at the what Grand a Canyon Dick. And well, wait, <laughs> wait, yeah, I'm looking at the Grand Canyon. I'm getting mad, and my wife's, going, "What's wrong?" And I go, "I'm like, I was like 47 years old at the time. So this is a while ago, and I'm standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, going." What the hell was so important yeah. that it took me 47 years to get Stay here? There. Amen. What were my parents doing that we didn't do this?
0: Amen. Why
1: did I not get here sooner? That was the feeling in in at the Grand Canyon. And um, the thing about Yellowstone that fascinates me is, according to what I've read, and I, I kind of dig this stuff, the whole area around Yellowstone seismically is throbbing. It's like... Heaving and moving and throbbing. And according to what I read, we're about 10,000 years overdue for a cataclysmic eruption of this monster volcano underneath Wyoming. Mm. Overdue by 10,000 years. So, and they say when it goes, we're all gone. Right. You know, not, and not just the western half of the U.S., but no. everything. everything. We're, talking, we're talking prehistoric dinosaur, You know, uh, nuclear winter, it's all gone. You know, the, the feel of this whole <laughs> thing just, <laughs> just changed a lot.
2: Wife, I know, oh, my, well, by the way, I go back to going dick. <laughs> no, that's just telling you to raise your prices while you can. <laughs> <laughs> right. make, hay, right. make hay while the sun shines. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Because,
1: because if, if Thursday is the day that this is going to go, we're going to be upset. So yeah, go fish. Raise your prices. Yeah, yeah raise your prices. Make the most stuff. of it. So
0: actually, when we were at Yellowstone and uh, thinking about that, I was like, I hope it goes now because what I don't want to do is like live through the winter, li- like the, the like the volcanic winter.
1: Oh, you right know on the east coast. You, you, you can be on your couch eating chips, watching TV in DC when it goes, and you're going to be done. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to be that close to the epicenter. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> I think.
0: I don't know. I don't know if you're fair or not. Is this what you thought we were going to talk about? (laughs) i never go in with any precon... Listen, I I thought you stole combs, Ivan. (laughs) I thought we were going to talk about combs and stuff. Um, That's amazing, man. Yeah, it's cool stuff. By the way, I love all that stuff, too. get. The internet was the worst thing that ever happened to me because i go deep on, some, on one, one particular subject and i go forever.
1: You know, I spent a couple of... You know, I, I read a lot. I get a lot of books from the library and I read on planes because I fly at the library. That's right. That? Yeah. And um, I went through a period in which I was reading an incredible amount of uh, paleontology, paleoanthropology. You know, they're finding these skeletons in, in Africa and in mm. caves and all this kind of stuff. Just fascinating stuff. And, and you know, it's one of those if I was 18 years old heading off to college. You know, I don't think, you know, a degree in hospitality and food service administration might be the <laughs> road, I would, road I would go now. Right. Um, you know, I don't know. But but some of that stuff, and, and especially like you referenced the bodies coming up out of Lake Mead. And, right. and, and if you've been following at all, uh, Egyptian archaeology the last several years. Because oh, you're talking about the Lost City? Oh, they're finding... Dis- yes. Oh, no. Oh, that was in Iraq that they found no, no. no, no the Lost
0: City of Egypt, which is 300 miles of, from Gaza, and they believe it's like uh, King Tut's father's like city. It, it's they're, amazing. They're
1: finding all these mummies, and they're finding all this stuff. There was just one the other day about a lake bed in Iraq that has dried up and revealed an entire city that they knew it was there, but they always knew it was underwater. Right. So now they have the opportunity due to... Global weather changes and things like this uh, to excavate this and it just this stuff fascinates
0: me. Yeah, I'm fascinated by it too. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Actually, if you it, if you're listening in and you look at the lost city of Egypt, like they pulled up this city and like all the buildings are still there. I mean, the walls aren't still there, but but there's but there's still foundation. They're like, oh, well, this was the bakery because here's the stove and the stove is there and and that a bunch. It, it's it's just it's all fascinating. Mind blowing. It, it really is. Yeah. yeah. And then what what's going on in South America now is they're using I think it's called lidar using LIDAR, and they're shooting, like, the Amazon and stuff, and they can see where civilizations were that before you just walk over and not even realize it. Well, yeah, they're, they're, so using, they're
1: using, like, these ground-penetrating radars to find these Mayan pyramids, and, yes. you know, we thought that was a hill, and underneath that thing is actually, you know, I mean, I don't know how many thousand, you know, we're getting, I'm getting in the weeds here on my right. knowledge of it all, but, um, yeah, it's just, just, just unbelievable stuff. The, 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 the planet has lots of secrets. And we, you know, and you know, my, and my, my favorite one when we get into this conversation, my wife and I were actually literally walking through O'Hare Airport on the way to the premiere show. And I'm walking behind somebody who has classic. Speaking of relics. What's that? O'Hare. O'Hare Airport? <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, the United Terminal. I remember when it was cool. Uh, you know, the <laughs> tunnel underneath with the neon lights and everything. We're walking through there and there was a guy in front of us on the, on the little belt tramway thing who had what, for lack of a better way to put it, we describe, it was you described as just classic Mayo pattern baldness. Uh-huh. And he's got, you know, a little fringy haircut around the sides. And I literally, this is on the way to the show this weekend, I looked at her and I go, you know, we have, we as a, as, a, as a culture, as a people, we have a little miniature four-wheel drive Jeep Cherokee right now driving around on Mars picking up rock samples. And we don't know why that man's hair fell out like that. <laughs> right? You know, for all the stuff we can do. The answer to so many questions is, we, we don't know. We don't know. Oh. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true, though. Yeah. It's amazing. Ivan, mean, man, we just crushed an hour. There you go. The it seems seem like 20 form. minutes, right? <laughs> Once I, they, There's a rule out there. Don't give me a microphone. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> we're going to go. We'll, we'll see you at breakfast. <laughs> we're going to
0: go <laughs> tap out for the night. I honestly, man, just thank you for making time with us. I'm so glad that we were actually Absolutely. able thank to get this done. And, thank you for and the and
1: invite. It's it's always a pleasure, and and uh, I hope I hope your listeners enjoy this. And, and oh, uh, they will. It, yeah. it, it, it's awesome. And uh,
0: yeah, I just can't wait to like see you at the shows now. You're like, oh yeah, we actually spent an hour together. <laughs> That's right. I know that guy over there. I actually uh, know that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Tony's gonna buy two more comb kits from you. No problem. Uh, <laughs> I will hook you up.
2: <laughs> well, before we wrap up, how can how can our listeners find you and follow you and and Pretty much all of it is Ivan
1: Zoot. The website is IvanZoot.com. Uh, the YouTube channel, just, you know, go to Google. They're, you know, they own YouTube. Type in Ivan Zoot. Um, Z-O-O-T, right? Z-O-O-T, like Zoot Suit, exactly. Wait um, you know, Wait, one, is, that, one, is that your real last name? People ask all the time, and the story that I am told, you know, I have some records. Uh, both sides of my family come from, 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 you know... From the mob? The areas that were at one point, you know, part of the Soviet Union, but prior to that, uh, come from Russia and some of those areas. And um, the story is that, that somebody came over here, and at some point they, you know, looked at the last nine syllables and said, that's pushing it. <laughs> kind, right. of, kind of hacked, oh, down, right, right, hacked right, right. down a little bit. Um, I have some of the records of, of what some of the name was, but uh, I can't read them because it's all in Russian. Um, but... Yeah. The, the, but Zoot was your birth Zoot, name. Zoot, yeah. And and that Ivan Zoot, you know, the funny thing about it was when I first got into the business, I started traveling and doing shows. I would show up at a show that somebody would book me. You know, it says, Ivan Zoot. And they go, you're not what I expected. So what did you expect? They said, "Well, we expected an old guy." Well, now I'm an old guy. That took a few years, you know. And then, and then lifetime achievement. And then we expected we expected a foreigner. And I'm like, well, okay, but you know what? It's been it's been a weird little gift because it's got a ring to it, and people don't forget. No, so you it's know, perfect. if your name is Jim Smith, you're kind of out of luck.
0: We know a Jim Smith who's out of luck. There you go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's awesome. Absolutely, but yeah, that's uh, that's the best way to find me. Ivan Zoo, Ivan just Google it, and, and all the are. world record stuff comes up, and all the other junk. One of my favorite things, though, is on my website, there's a button that says, Talk to Ivan. If you click on there, it's an opportunity to put in your name, your email address, and your questions, and I answer, I don't have people. I answer all my questions myself. Uh, many times, the answer to the questions are, thank you for your question. Please click the link below and watch the video, Right, because I got so much content on YouTube, and maybe your question is not as original as you might think it is, uh, but I do take the time to answer within 24 hours as long as I have access when I'm traveling and things not like that. Not this weekend. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, you'll, you'll, you'll hear me from me Wednesday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I try to be really good about that. That's and, and, awesome. And, you know, it's been a great way to connect with people and, and fascinating questions and things that come up. So
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Mr. Ivanzu, yeah, thank you brother. very much for hanging out with us and thank you for joining us on Your day off. <laughs>